0: EM Guidewire, hard-hitting emergency medicine from Carolina's Medical Center.
1: Hello and happy match week for the team here at EM Guidewire. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Intern Nuggets, where today we'll cover the various forms of heart block. Let's throw it over to the team.
0: Welcome back to EM Guidewire's Intern Nugget podcast. We're once again coming to you from J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studio at Carolina's Emergency Medicine Residency in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am Fernanda Caliana Serpa, PGY1. I'm Dr. Bissell. Dr. Serpa, it's great
1: to see you. Those intern clinical rotations can keep us apart, so it's been a minute since we last hung out in the
0: recording studio. How are you? Thanks to this cup of coffee, I am doing fantastic. This episode and energy is brought to you by medium roast Dunkin' Donut K-Cups. How are you? I'm
1: doing well. I've been off-service all winter on trauma, MICU, and cardiology. In between patient care, I've been busy prepping for our in-service exam and Step 3. But also, I had a little time to go on vacation. That vacation was really great, not only for my perspective, but also for my heart. So, since my heart was feeling better, and I got to learn a bunch about the heart during my cardiology rotation, I thought we could talk about some heart blocks and understand how the pathophysiology of various heart blocks can be used to guide
0: our management in the emergency department. First of all, vacation sounds so lovely. And absolutely, we should discuss heart-related topics to spread some of that love. But wait, first, guess what month it is? Drumroll, please. It's Madge Month. Can you believe it's been a whole year since we matched? Not even a little bit. So it feels just like yesterday when we were doing our first recording and talking about how stressful it was to order Tylenol for the first time. This year flew by and I've learned so much, but there's so much more that I still don't know. Do you have advice for our fourth year medical students? This is such an exciting time that will push you out of your comfort zone and you are not alone in the wide variety of feelings that you must be having. It's never too early to reach out to your co-interns, From experience, everyone is freaking out, and it's never too early to start supporting each other. Cheering all of you on. I remember Dr. Serpa setting up a Zoom call for our new class
1: last spring. Honestly, after interview season, I had a smidge of Zoom fatigue, but it was so helpful to connect with you guys so early. Your co-interns will be your biggest support, and they're your new family,
0: so don't hesitate to reach out and bombard them with questions early on. This one was actually an exciting Zoom call. So I guess we should get back to some of the heartwarming content. Absolutely. We don't want to keep our fans waiting. So without further delay, let's jump in. Sweet. Let's do it.
1: You know what I realized on my cardiology rotation? Cardiac physiology is really challenging, and getting a good handle on it can elucidate why we treat the way we do. Let's apply this to AV nodal blocks. Remember, the sinoatrial node, or SA node, generates impulses that create sinus rhythm. These impulses pass through the AV node, then the bundle of Hiss, then bundle branches, and Purkinje fibers. Let's work backwards. Here's a case that was navigated masterfully by one of our senior residents. In the middle of the night, in our high acuity zone, a gentleman around the age of 65 came in after a ground-level fall with altered mental status. He was initially called out as a trauma code due to the fall. He rolled into our trauma bay with a whole team in place to stabilize him. What do you think?
0: Well, I'm a bit biased since I know the topic of this talk. Which came first, the fall or the altered mental status? However, since he was called out as a trauma, I assume we got initial vitals, and a primary and secondary survey were completed pretty rapidly. Yep, exactly. He was hooked up to the monitor and found to be bradycardic at 40, and
1: hypotensive 90s over 60s. There were no signs of trauma on primary or secondary survey. However, his extremities were quite cool, and he was altered. He was withdrawing and opening eyes only to pain. He was making incomprehensible sounds. So if my math is right, that's a GCS
0: of 9. Hmm, so no signs of head trauma? Then I do not think there's an explanation for the altered mental status quite yet. And when something is activated as a trauma and you have the trauma team there, it is very easy to get in the rhythm and forget to think outside of the trauma algorithm box. For sure. One of our upper-level residents was managing the patient, but I peeked in and was
1: curious, so came in to do the fast ultrasound. I went straight for the heart, and guess what I saw?
0: Well, with bradycardia, hypotension, cool extremities, a lecture about heart block, I'm worried about cardiogenic shock. Yep. His ventricles were barely moving. I called over
1: to the resident and attending, and while we were watching the ultrasound screen, it looked as though the atria and ventricle, while barely moving, were contracting independently of each other. Complete heart block
0: on ultrasound.
1: Boom. That is quite impressive. Exactly. Our EKG showed complete dissociation of the P waves and QRS waves. Since he was unstable, we tried transcutaneous pacing, which failed to capture. So ultimately, he required transvenous pacing. So the question, Dr. Serpa,
0: is what do you know about third degree or complete heart block? I guess the altered mental status did come before the fall. So a third degree block is the result of complete blockage of the AV node or below, preventing any atrial impulse from conducting to the ventricles. Ventricular escape rates are slower than sinus and slower than the atrial rate, thus why this patient was bradycardic. The lower the block within the conduction system, the slower the ventricular rate. Also, the morphology of QRS changes and generally becomes wider with lower blocks. For example, blocks at the level of the fascicle or the bundle branches may have a widened QRS indicating slowed conduction through the ventricles. Presentation can be variable and includes fatigue, dyspia, presyncope, or syncope. Sounds like this patient got stabilized and properly admitted soon after, but why did he get complete heart block in the first place? There are a variety of etiologies which can change management. A very common
1: cause, and an important one, especially in the emergency department, is ischemic heart disease. The right coronary artery supplies the AV node, so occlusion of the RCA leading to ischemia will affect the AV node and can manifest as heart block. You will typically see signs of myocardial infarction in your inferior leads, 2, 3, and AVF. Make sure to scrutinize your 12-lead EKG for this when you get it, and don't get locked into only determining what kind of heart block it is you may need to call your interventionalist sooner rather than later.
0: That is a great point. While pacing may be required for bradycardia, there are a few causes of bradycardia that deserve a rapid assessment as they may change our management. Like if the patient needs to go to the cath lab in addition to having pacing started. Love that. What are some of those other considerations? Aside from scrutinizing that ECG for ischemia, you may also have high concern for hyperkalemia, which affects the conduction and may lead to bizarre appearing rhythms. Check that potassium level. The patient may also need calcium. Then, of course, other causes that might be relevant in the emergency department are medications such as beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, or digoxin, all of which have other specific therapies that may help. Then it is worth considering other causes, antiarrhythmic, severe hypothyroidism, or infections such as myocarditis.
1: While you are pondering those issues, we still need to take action regardless of etiology. If someone is hemodynamically unstable like this patient, they need to be stabilized rapidly. You can use 1 mg of IV atropine every 3-5 to minutes, for a total of 3 mg. Atropine is a parasympatholytic, so it should shorten AV node conduction time. However, if the block is below the AV node, atropine may not be helpful. Regardless, while you use atropine, you should be providing temporary cardiac pacing. If necessary, you can consider vasopressors, specifically those with chronotropic effects. The agent most discussed in the literature is dopamine. However, epinephrine and can be considered as well.
0: So what I heard was one, get the pads on while calling for atropine, and then two, start pacing while three, looking for reversible causes like hyperkalemia, ischemia, beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, and digoxin. If there are no reversible causes present, then keep pacing and call your cardiology team and get that patient admitted for evaluation for a permanent pacemaker placement.
1: Okay, let's move on.
0: You have a patient with a chief complaint of syncope.
1: She's been feeling fatigued and short of breath for a while. As part of your workup, you get an EKG and see a 2 to 1 AV block, meaning that every other P wave is conducted into a
0: QRS. What do you think? This is a trick. It is likely second degree block, but it could be MOVITS 1 or 2. MOVITS 1 is characterized by progressive PR prolongation until there is a non-conducted P wave in Mobitz two, the PR interval remains the same, but not every atrial impulse conducts through the ventricles. So if you have Mobitz one, but every other beat is dropped, there's no way to see those prolonging PR segments.
1: Doctor Serpa for the win
0: again. You're right. And as you know, it's important to distinguish between the two since
1: MOBIS type two can progress to complete heart block and thus could require a pacemaker. So how do you tell the difference?
0: I imagine if you watch the rhythm long enough, you could potentially see different PR intervals and different conduction patterns like 3-2 to two or 4-3, to three indicating MOBITS-1 is the etiology. Definitely, but that could be cumbersome during a busy shift. I learned another trick from a
1: cardiologist here. MOBITS-1 is due to increased parasympathetic tone on the AV node, which decreases conduction time. MOBITS-2 typically occurs below the AV node and is more often due to ischemic disease. So, if you stand your patient up and walk them the increased sympathetic tone on the AV node should improve or convert Mobitz I to sinus rhythm.
0: That's a great trick. So is this similar to atropine like we talked about earlier? Since atropine is a parasympatholytic on the AV node, it should improve Mobitz I, but not Mobitz two. Exactly. If you're deciding on disposition for an
1: asymptomatic patient who incidentally has type 2 heart block, these are some ideas to ensure that they have Mobitz I and are not in need of further evaluation. Some elite athletes have Mobitz I at rest due to their increased vagal tone and lower resting heart rate. However, still be wary if you are concerned for ischemia, as it can manifest as varying degrees of heart block. I probably
0: have Mobitz one I'm an athlete.
1: <laughs> Same.
0: <laughs> so if you're concerned for pathologic etiology or it's clearly Mobitz 2, the workup is similar to complete heart block. Always consider myocardial infarction and treat it as necessary. Make sure to rule out reversible causes such as medications, hyperkalemia, hypothyroid, or infections. If you've done all that, then they should probably be admitted for a cardiology evaluation and a potential pacemaker. Well, we've worked backwards from type 3 to type 2, and now there's one big category left. Type 1! So this is a prolonged PR interval greater than 200 milliseconds due to delayed conduction from the atrium to the ventricle. This can be a normal variant or due to increased vagal tone and lower resting heart rate or it could be from structural abnormalities, medications, ischemic disease, cardiomyopathy, and myocarditis. Exactly. Similar
1: to type 2, type 1 can be a normal variant or a sign of something else going on. Be sure to consider in the context of your patients presenting symptoms and underlying conditions.
0: Let's finish up with some lovely heart-related learning points. Learning point 1. The differential for heart block includes structural abnormalities, medications, ischemic disease, cardiomyopathy, and myocarditis. Type 1 and type 2, MOVITS-1 in particular, could be a normal variant due to increased parasympathetic tone. Learning point 2. Atropine may be helpful for patients with heart block and symptomatic bradycardia if the block is at the level of the AV node. Give it a try and set up for pacing ASAP. Learning point 3. Type 1 is characterized by prolonged PR. Type 2, MOVITS-1, is progressive prolongation of the PR until a QRS is dropped. Type 2, Mobitz 2, has consistent PR intervals with intermittently dropped QRS. If the pattern is 2 to 1, it can be impossible to tell Mobitz 1 and 2 apart. Type 3 block is complete dissociation of P and QRS. Mobitz 2 and type 3 will likely require a pacemaker if they have irreversible causes. Longer, longer, longer drop, drop, then you have have a winky winky block. That's a wrap. So thank you for joining us once again in the Lee Garvey Innovation Studio. Please let your colleagues and friends know that they can also catch all of this great content and more by subscribing to EM Guidewire podcast via your favorite podcast service, or you can listen on the website, www.emguidewire.com, where there's even more great content. Until next time, stay well and enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go. Be awesome today. you out. Calcium channel blocker. Pause, go back. We got this.